Welcome to the Athletic Business Podcast. I'm Jason Scott. And I'm Andy Berg. And welcome to a new year. 2021 has arrived, and uh, I think we're all ready to close the, close the book on 2020, huh, Andy? <laughs> we most definitely are, yes. And hopefully someday get back into the office where we can see everybody again. Yeah, this get back in and uh, record these uh, not from our, our home setups. So hopefully right. the audio com- becomes a little bit better when we can get back into our regular studio setup. But um, Andy, why don't you tell us a little bit about who we got on the show today? Yeah. Um, so I thought this was a, a great way to start out the new year. Um, I got in touch with Don Barnum, who is DLR Group's global sports studio head. Um, He's, uh, you know, really respected sports architect in the United States. And um, just given the drought of sports, um, in-person uh, uh, opportunities, you know, over the last few months, um, I thought it'd be neat to talk to Don about um, stadium and arena design, sort of what's been learned and, um, from the pandemic and what changes the pandemic might catalyze in the future. but. Um, the, the conversation was uh, wide ranging and we really covered a lot of things beyond um, just sort of what changes the pandemic will bring and talked a sure. lot about the fan experience um, and kind of, you know, it's, it's funny nowadays. A lot of fans don't necessarily want to sit in their seat for three hours of a football game. Um, right. So we talked a lot about what kinds of changes that might bring about it at, you know, the college and pro level. So. Um, really great, great talk with Don. I think our, our audience is going to enjoy it. All right. Well, uh, we'll look forward to getting to our interview with Don right after a quick break. Athletic Business Magazine is a trade publication that 40,000 athletics, fitness, and recreation professionals rely on to find the tips, trends, and products they need to be successful. Want to join? Head on over to athleticbusiness.com slash subscribe to get started or renew your free subscription. Don, thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Good to talk with you. Yeah. Um, so wanted to touch base with you sort of on, on what you're seeing around trends uh, in, in stadium and arena design. Um, and sort of do you think the, the pandemic has catalyzed new ways of thinking about uh, sports venue design? Yeah, I think it really has. We have sort of started to characterize it over the past six, nine months as um, there were already some things happening Mm -hmm. and um, owners were looking at new ways to capitalize on revenue, to make their venues more exciting, to bring people in to compete with the, um, you know, the big 80 inch TVs at home. Sure. But I think what COVID did was really put the accelerator pedal um, on that, put our foot on the pedal. The, um, a lot of things that are starting to get rolled out as mm-hmm. venues open back up for COVID, like contactless entry points, managing the crowds as they come in, um, contactless transactions all throughout the venue. Those things are, are probably all going to be here to stay because they just sure. sort of make sense. Sure. And some of the professional venues are already doing a lot of that. I think it's going to find its way into the into the collegiate venues and even the smaller venues as time goes on. Those are just probably good practices. Sure. Um, But we were already starting to look at how, you know, fans are 
attending and watching and consuming the games differently mm-hmm. than they were before with um, maybe less interest in sitting in a seat for three hours, wanting to have a variety of experiences throughout the venue. And uh, a lot of the spaces that we've been creating that are more social sort of lend themselves to social distancing now in what might be at least for a couple of years, our sort of new environment. I don't know how quickly we think the vaccine is gonna make everybody feel good about going back into the stadium. So I think some of these things are gonna linger for two or three years, but some of the spaces that are are more social and more open just lend themselves to that kind of environment. And so the ratio of seats to capacity, I think was starting to decrease. I think it's gonna continue to do that and probably even go past where we thought it might've gone before. Sure. you know, obviously nothing good has come out of, our, well, I shouldn't say that. There's nothing <laughs> great about, about the pandemic, obviously. But do you, do you see a silver lining in, in the way that maybe a lot of these operators have had some time to sort of reconsider how they're, they're welcoming fans into the stadium, think about maybe some of these things that they otherwise just didn't have time to implement? Uh, I think, yes. I think there, in general answer to your question, yes, I think there's a lot of study that's been done by all of our owners. We've been literally talking to all of our clients um, on a daily basis, trying mm-hmm. to help them understand what, what they can be when they reopen, how they can be different. Um, and there was this consideration of what's the future going to be like uh, beforehand. But again, I think it's going to um, accelerate some of those changes. Sure. Um, Do you foresee with some of these changes, existing structures seeking to make, you know, uh, substantial design changes um, as a result of this? You know, I don't think we'll, we'll ever see a day where we say, all right, we're not going to have a seating bowl. Right. It's focused (laughs) on the event. Right. Right. Um, There's been talk about that. Does that, does that hold, model actually change forever we've been trying to pack as many people around home plate and midfield as possible to give them the best viewing opportunities there's always i think going to be a segment of the crowd that wants to have that sure so i don't really see that ever going away the way we deliver that might loosen up some Mm -hmm. but i really think too that long term the these buildings that already exist for you know, every city, every community, every team that's out there, um, they're a huge investment. And so to think that the future is going to be 20% capacity or even 50% capacity of those buildings, I don't think is realistic. I think ultimately to make those work, we're going to get back to 100% or near 100% capacity. So the goal will be to find new ways of even if we don't get 100%, we get 80 or 90% capacity, but we capture some new revenue for those people that are in the bu- or going to be in the building so that the revenue streams that the teams have based the whole financial model on to date, yeah. that they can still survive. Because unless there's a complete restructuring of, say, professional sports with salaries and ownership and everything else, which right. I don't believe that's going to happen right. either, <laughs> we're going to have to deal with it at the level of, that we're entertaining the fans and how much revenue can be captured from the fans. So 
um, creating spaces that people are are really interested in in sort of living in while they're at the event. You know, sports book is a new thing that's going to be drawing in some more people. Right. It's going to have a different demographic. Creating spaces that are more attractive to a millennial crowd and a Gen Z crowd, where they're not, um, you know, sitting in a seat necessarily, or maybe they're sitting in a seat for half of the game and then they're in a social environment, um, the other half, or maybe they can go back and forth. So I think we'll be looking at a lot of different products that offer variety, and. A lot of stadiums probably already have a dozen different options, but we might be looking at, you know, 25 different ways of entertaining fans and different price points sure. and different ways to enjoy the event. Yeah. Uh, so some existing pain points even before um, the, the pandemic happened, and, and clearly it's a problem now when we think about virus mitigation, um, are places where you have a lot of lines forming, um, restrooms, concessions. Um, how do you foresee that kind of changing, probably changes that were coming, you know, regardless of whether or not there had been a, a, a pandemic? Uh, you know, restrooms are one thing that that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> the use of those is probably not going to change. Right. So really just dealing with potentially some more fixtures for that to reduce lines. Sure. But um, any other thing that is more manageable, that's a choice that people are making throughout the event. That's definitely going to change. Food service offerings are definitely something that has already started to change and will continue to do so. The, the grab-and-go model with prepackaged food is, was in a few buildings, mm -hmm. and I think it's going to be in virtually every building in the next year or two. There are even some technology models out there that um, with your, either your phone or some facial recognition technology, you don't even have to get your money out. You just go grab something. They know you're in the store. Whatever you have has an RFID chip in it or something. And when you leave the store with it, yeah. you get charged. So that it's both time so that that transaction is really fast. And it's uh, just more freedom and feeling like it's probably a more safe environment. Nobody's been handling your food. Sure. So you know that or you can feel like it's more safe. I'm not sure we'll ever see a buffet. Yeah. Uh, for the next five or 10 years, because I think there's just way too much risk. And sure. I think there'll be lingering, um, you know, feelings about people feeling good about that kind of food service as well. Sure. But there's uh, always going to be the, the need and desire to have the more higher end products, which in turn is a higher revenue option for the, for the teams. People will pay $20 for really good, maybe their favorite local barbecue. Right. Instead of $4 for a hot dog. Right, right. People will pay $15 for a beer, too. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a choice, but it's not a choice. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, so uh, how are we thinking about perimeter design in terms of entering and exiting the building? Uh, I know with that was a concern with even some of the you know 25% capacity, just how do you get fans in and out without you know too much uh, close contact. But... Um, do you foresee any changes in that area? Uh, yeah, I think in the short term when the crowds are reduced, it helps itself a bit. But we actually did some study and determined that if you consider, a, I'll use a, the Coliseum in L.A., which we renovated a year ago, um, as an example. Crowds at that building, it's a 
was a 90,000 seat facility. It's now 75, but crowds at that building were packed up for 30 to 60 minutes side by side. Yeah. When you think about that, it's three square feet per person in that sort of packed environment. A six foot radius around some, or sorry, six foot diameter circle around a person, which is the COVID requirement by CDC is 36 nominally square feet. So you need 10 times as much space to safely get those people into the building. So all the notions that are being implemented now, which is you're given a specific gate to enter, um, you're even given perhaps a staging time, you can come in for the 30 minutes, sure. zero to 30 minutes before the game or 30 to 60 minutes or 60 to 90 minutes. That all helps. Um, increasing the number of portals that come into the venue will also help. And there are touchless and um, well contactless, and there doesn't need to be a transaction for the ticket scan. And we also did that at the Coliseum a year before, not in, not because of COVID reasons, because it was a fan experience issue of helping people get through that transactional movement of entering the stadium faster. Sure. So I think those kind of things are all going to help uh, minimizing bag check. Yeah. Um, not minimize, but don't bring bags, right. zero bag policies in some buildings will help speed that whole transaction and allow people to stay separated. And some of those things I think are probably just really good practice too, that will continue to be implemented. Sure. Um, you mentioned uh, all the clients that you've been talking to. What, what are you hearing from them? What are they concerned about? What, what are they excited about? Uh, frankly, been hearing more about the concerns yeah, right, right. for the last nine months. <laughs> sure. Um, they're now excited about that. Yes, we're moving again. And yes, we've got cash flow and yes, we're going to transition into what we think is uh, more of a normal model. Mm -hmm. But um, what has really been concerning them is how do they continue to keep the fans interested in coming to the events because sure. now the environment is so different. I've been to some football games, um, a, because I like it, and B, because, you know, professional interest. How are we? Sure. How is, how is the crowd acting? How are they moving? Um, what's working and what's not working? But the fan experience just isn't the same as it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't have somebody next to you cheering. You're not high-fiving somebody you don't know and hugging people and having right. beers built on you and all that stuff yeah. that actually yeah. makes the, the things yeah. fun. So is this going to detract from their crowds in the future? Are people going to sort of, all right, well, I lived for a year and I didn't go. Maybe it's okay. And I don't have to right. have a season ticket anymore. I can go once in a while. And so there's um, the continuation of the fan affinity and the desire to have their fans come back to the stadium. That's on top of just the, the fear of being in public that people have right now and the potential exposure to the virus. So I hope there's not been a sort of an apathy created by the by the divorce that we've had for the last nine months. Right, right. Yeah, I, I had just seen a stat um, from a survey that was done, and uh, I think it was something along the lines of 60, 60th percentage of, of Americans don't anticipate attending a live sporting event within the next, I think that was three months maybe. Uh, I'd have to check the specifics on that. But um, clearly there must be some concern about just, you know, really making feel people feel comfortable and, you know, 
walking down the street is a struggle right now, much less, right. you know. Uh, but you, uh, you did, you mentioned um, the, uh, the revenue portion of that. And I have to ask you, you know, financial impact on operators, on universities, um, do you think we'll see projects start to pick back up in the next year or what, what's that looking like? That's uh, a really... I know that's a big question. <laughs> yeah, well, it is, but it's really a tough one even for the, the owners to answer. Yeah. We're starting to see some cash flow. Mm -hmm. um, but we, we have a couple of projects that we're supposed to start in April. And of course, that was the worst possible timing. Right. And they've been put on hold. But um, those owners still don't feel a comfort level to start investing really even a penny right. in those projects, even to get them started. And, you know, the development process for design and construction to get it started it's two to three year process to get a building open and so if we start today three years from now we certainly all hope this is gone right. but there's still enough sort of fear in the industry and um, just no money in their pocket right now to actually spend anything yeah so we've been trying to to help at least gently push and um, try to talk about what the market conditions are as we come out of COVID and that this might actually be a good time mm -hmm. to start investing. If you can be ahead of, ahead of the curve, Sure, uh, it probably takes some um, aggressiveness and assertiveness and risk to do that. But there might be a softening of the market as we come out. So a project might actually be able to be done with, um, less cost and overall uh, greater value for the same amount of money if we can get started. But that's still a really tough discussion to have when there's um, zero money coming in through the door. Sure. Sure. Um, really last question to just kind of, you know, what, what are the, the, the trends that you are maybe excited about or, or um, any developments that you think uh, people should know about? whether whether ex operators of existing facilities or um, maybe even uh, people looking to start a project uh, in this environment? Uh, some of the, the bigger things that are happening is, uh, and some of this was happening before COVID too, but the, the neighborhood developments associated mm -hmm. with the stadiums that, um, you know, increase the overall value, increase the, the time that is spent there, enhance the the experience so instead of a three-hour game you're there for two or three hours before sure um taking advantage of some of the fun things that there are to do um i think we'll see more and more of that it helps potentially also as a funding vehicle yeah for some of the stadiums or or for some of the stadium improvements that want to happen they're big brand expressions Sure. For the teams, as you start to theme that, like the Cubs themed Wrigleyville and right. uh, projects like that. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, the private model of funding is being looked at, has been looked at more in professional, but now is starting to be looked at in the, on the collegiate side too. Sure. And so I think that's going to be um, – really prevalent or start to be so and the 
like public-private partnership has been a big push of the Biden administration. So we may get some good governmental support for that kind of right. approach too. Yeah. So I would look that for that to be a new funding model for um, collegiate sports. Yeah. I think maybe one of the first ones is University of Texas with their arena that's going up now. Yeah. But I think we'll be seeing more of that. Nice. Um, some of the things that we're looking at to sort of enhance the value or make these make some of these stadium facilities more um, usable and maybe um, capture some additional value is specifically collegiately these buildings aren't getting used 24 7 like most every other building on right. campus and with the notion of right now needing social distancing teams are moving into bigger spaces like instead of a football team meeting in a 120 person room they might be meeting in their practice facility right because they can actually spread out and feel like they're in a more safe environment or taking teams and using the the club lounge as their dining space um and study space instead of being cramped up in a in a in tutoring rooms or in a, an academic center but just um finding more uses within the buildings that are there and then we've been looking even before covid at these are these buildings are huge campus assets and when they're used like a football team meeting room if it gets used for an hour a day yeah that's a 150 person classroom that if it was anywhere else on campus it would be probably used 12 to 14 hours a day right so is there some sharing that could happen that could be a bottom line benefit not just to um, athletics but to the campus and to their whole um, their whole bottom line financially because they're struggling as much or more than athletic programs are right yeah yeah so looking at those synergies um, trying to help you know save building a new building but tie some things together maybe with some minor innovations that allow some more synergistic uses yeah have you heard heard of that kind of uh, interest from from colleges or universities just about integrating those athletics facilities a little bit more? Um, from the facilities side, absolutely. Yeah. Um, from the athletics side, a lot less enthusiasm. Yeah, that. But I think that um, that it really does make sense, and I think as they start to think about it, and there's a a path forward shown that it makes sense and it can be used effectively by athletics when they need it. And then in the remainder of time, without mixing together the athletes and the and the student population, and it can be used in in other hours. That I think, as long as we can show a way that can be done successfully, I think it can be adopted and be sure. really beneficial. Yeah. Uh, okay, I lied. One more question. One sporting event you're looking forward to hopefully attending live in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> is there one that you're just hoping happens <laughs> uh chiefs in the super bowl yeah packers in the super bowl <laughs> i think well, I grew up a packers fan, so i'll take that too all right good deal don thanks so much for joining us really appreciate it all right andy thank you av show is a solution focused event for athletics fitness recreation and military professionals no matter where you are in your career or the types of projects you're working on, 
AB Show's leading educational conference has sessions that will provide you with actionable insights, unique solutions, and new ideas you can implement right away. Learn more and register at abshow.com. And we're back. Um, yeah, great, great conversation with Don. I really appreciated him taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. Um, so uh, before we jump off and before we sign off for this episode of the show, uh, a couple things that we should mention. Um, uh, number one, we've got our, our annual buyer's guide is, is coming up in, um, in a couple months. We're hard at work at that, uh, on that. Um, and again, you know, if uh, longtime followers of athletic business will be familiar with the buyer's guide, it's basically an encyclopedia of like whatever you, <laughs> you need for your facility. Uh, so if you're a subscriber to the print issue, be on the lookout for that. Um, and another thing that we wanted to make sure to mention is our uh, virtual workshop series. We've got um, one actually coming up uh, later on this week. It's about uh, promoting mental health and well-being in college rec. Uh, you can learn more about um, our entire webinar series if you go to athleticbusiness.com slash webinar. And uh, there's a lot more information available under the uh, virtual workshops tab that you'll see on that uh, webpage. Yeah, uh, just, a, just a note on that, Jason, just so people know, um, we have Todd uh, Misner, uh, Chief Wellness Officer from Oklahoma State University, and George Brown, who is the Assistant Vice Provost, Office for Student Affairs and Director of University Recreation and Wellness at the University of Minnesota Twin Cities. So that should be a great one. Yeah, and I'll be, uh, I'll be sitting in on that one. So uh, if you happen to sign up, you may get a chance to see my shining face coming to you yes. from, my, from my basement. Um, Absolutely. So, <laughs> um, Love it. Yeah, you can see if my voice matches my face. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but yeah, so we've got that coming up uh, actually on Thursday of this week. So be on the lookout for that. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is that the uh, architectural showcase submissions are now open. Um, you can find pretty much all the information you need about that uh, in a few. Uh, most of our listeners probably get our will get the uh, email with all the information on that. If not, uh, should be on the website um, within the next couple of days. I'm not sure we quite have the the uh, the link up there yet, but you can. Right. Go to the usual spot if you've submitted before. You know where to go. Um, so and, uh, yeah, submissions for that are open. Obviously, you know the ar architectural sh architectural showcase is uh, one of our favorite things that we get to do all year. It's a real highlight for us, um, and it's a highlight for anybody who's got a facility project uh, they'd like to feature in our pages. So uh, definitely be on, on the lookout for that. And um, submissions are open, so uh, send them in. Yep. Uh, and with that, uh, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off. So yep. Um, until next time, take it easy.